I used to love to visit my grandparents in the little northeast corner of Mississippi in the town called Iuka. And in Iuka, our, na- our family name still had the English pronunciation without the H, Grissom. So my granddad is Lawrence Grissom. And one of the things about Iuka, and a lot of little towns like that, is lots of people had nicknames. So there were my cousins, there was Kissum Grissom, <laughs> and his younger brother, Hugum. Kissum and Hugum. And then there was my college roommate, who is from Iuka, Bubba. I like to tell stories about Bubba. Some of them were true. His, his real name, though, is David Olin Jordan III. Bubba. And there's a guy who was about six foot eight. He was the tallest person in Iuka. Everybody knew him as Shorty. <laughs> Great fun. Well, maybe I think Jesus was having some Iuka fun with his friend Simon when Jesus nicknamed him Rocky. Peter, you see, is the masculine form in the Greek for the word Petra, meaning rock. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we hear him called Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. And Aramaic was Jesus' local dialect. But the picture of Peter, the rock that we get in the New Testament, well, he's somebody who's hot-headed, quick, impulsive, fiery, bursting with energy, but not sure sometimes where to spend that energy sort of the opposite of rock-like, more sparky than rocky. (laughs) Well, two weeks ago, we saw Peter in a boat. He sees Jesus walking across the water, and he calls out impulsively, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Well, come on. Peter hops right down and starts walking toward Jesus until he sees the waves. And then he wavers and starts to sink, crying almost clownishly, Lord, save me. Peter, the rock. Peter was the one who spoiled the wonder of the moment in the afterglow of the transfiguration when Jesus was glowing magnificently in the midst of this apparition with Moses and Elijah, it was like Peter clapped his hands and the mystery disappeared. He acted, well, let's get to work and do something like build a shrine to what just happened. Now, what a, what a spoiler. He just broke the mood. In John's version of Jesus' arrest, it was Peter who grabbed a sword at the arrest of Jesus and attacked the high priest's slave trying to defend Jesus. Put the sword away, Peter, Jesus had to tell him. And according to Luke, Jesus then repaired the damage, healing the man Jesus had ra- that Peter had rashly injured. But every once in a while, this mercurial, impetuous Peter gets it right. And maybe it's something about his uninhibited nature, but occasionally Peter intuits something and rushes into the possibilities with uncalculated zest and gets it right. 
Who do they say I am? Jesus asked the disciples ominously. And then like students carefully trying to fish for the answer, they think the teacher wants, the disciples respond, well, some say this, some say that. And Jesus turns it on them. But who do you say that I am? It is Peter who bursts toward this impossible possibility. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, now, I bet Jesus howled with laughter at that moment. Bless your heart, Peter. You are something else. Way to go, Rocky. On this, this rock-hard, solid foundation, I will build my church. And, and, and then I can see everybody getting in on the joke and beginning to giggle among themselves, gleeful, high-spirited. And Jesus wraps his arms around the unrestrainable Peter and cheers. The gates of hell cannot prevail against this. Everybody's kind of laughing. Jesus turns and with an ambiguous solemnity pronounces to Rocky, I give you the keys to my kingdom. Whatever you bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And the sheepish Peter doesn't quite know what to do with that. But he trusts Jesus. Then Jesus warns them against speaking any indiscreet words about messiahs, and the scene ends. Now, I don't know if it happened just exactly that way, the gospel according to Lowell, but... (laughs) What I do know is that every time Peter intuited something that was bigger than he could handle, Peter jumped right into it with a reckless abandon, and Jesus commended him, knowing all the while that Peter could never live up to the wonders he embraced. Now, I am a skeptic by nature. I am a doubter by temperament. But every once in a while, something happens that tweaks my imagination, that teases my intuition with the impossible possibility, and I can feel a tingle. You know, it all just might be true. It all might be more wonderful than I can even imagine. And when I jump in and follow that energy, it seems that life opens up. And, well, I remember one time I was on a retreat. I was wanting to experience God, to feel God alive and real. And then suddenly, there was this presence in the room with me. I felt the chill go up about, and I asked, hopefully, sheepishly, is this it? Is this you, God? Now, I can't describe what happened then, but there was something that was kind of like a cosmic laugh filling the universe, laughing with me and at me and saying, well, yes. I hold on to that. Now, years ago, even though it seemed a little 
stupid and hopeless to me. I gave contemplative prayer a try. Well, another try after failing. And I let go of thoughts, let go of feelings, let go of everything. Well, it was maddening. I am borderline ADHD, but I experienced it and and hung with it. Distraction, boredom, mostly nothing, until, until after some period of being faithful to that and practicing, one time the quiet broke through, and I, whatever I am, descended somewhere below thought and feeling. There were no thoughts. There were no feelings. Descended somewhere where time stood still, and I didn't exist. The all just was. Time stood still, and I don't know how long it was, and I just know that when something that I call me separated again from the all and emerged, there was an exquisite peace. I also remember learning the physics of the wave-particle duality. Do you remember that? Did you, did you get fired up about that too? Uh, you know, light. Light is simultaneously a wave and a particle. It's both and. And boy, that teased me with all the possibilities of paradox that seem to be woven into the very fabric of creation. Particle, wave, human divine, material, spiritual, imminent, transcendent. Maybe everything can be both and rather than either or. I do know that when I gave up the tribalism of insisting that my faith was the only true faith, a world of faithfulness opened up and I could see God wonderfully manifest in new and marvelous ways. So whenever I quit resenting the thousands of frustrations, tragedies, injustices that surround us that are always present in this world that fill our news. Whenever I quit resenting that and imagine that God is universally present, God is bringing forth life from death, healing from brokenness, then I start seeing signs of hopefulness. Signs of bringing life from death, healing to brokenness. And then I see those signs of encouragement and I can put my energy into that new hope. Now, every once in a while, the wonder of this simple act of Eucharist just breaks over me. A cup of wine, a bit of bread, and a story about a dying man 2,000 years ago. A community with open hands reaching out beyond ourselves to be fed by God. To become one with the all, nurtured, healed, fed, and blessed. And there is coherence, wonder, 
peace. But then a hand claps or a wave threatens and I don't know how to deal with things anymore. The horizons collapse into such threatening ordinariness. So I have to live on memory to remember the tingle. So I decide to act as if it all could be possible, the impossible possibility. God is good. God is here. All is good. All is well. All is safe. And like Peter, then I can look around for whatever the next thing might be that God wants me to throw my life into. When you can sense yourself surrounded by the living energy of God, it's easier to forget yourself, to lose your inhibitions, to live with a bit of rash, intuitive hope, even when you fail like Peter. And you remember what happened to Peter, especially when the chips were down, when Jesus warned all of them that trouble was brewing and that they would all desert him. I will never desert you, boasted the impetuous Peter. And before the cock had crowed the morning awake, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus three times. Not much of a rock when times got hard. And no doubt, Peter was crushed. Now, such a failure might break another, a person maybe with some pride, with a bit of self-respect. But sometime later, after the cross, after the first Eucharist at Emmaus, when they knew Jesus in the breaking of the bread, sometime later, on the shores of Galilee, Jesus appeared to Peter, and three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter was able to speak his heart's deepest truth. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times, Jesus commissioned him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And on this impetuous, fiery love, Jesus founded his church. Love energized, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Love energized, that is the intuitive key that opens the heavens to bind and to loose wonders. Love energized, that is the rock and the foundation of the reign of God. Love energized, and yes, it can be unpredictable and failing, it can be impetuous, and it is mysterious, but Love energized continually teases us with the impossible possibility. It all may be more wonderful than we can imagine. Every time we jump into that with both feet, wonders happen. And then rash, flighty clowns like you and me Become rocks. Amen.